0: You're listening to Everyday Emergency, a podcast from Doctors Without Borders.
1: As its wheels touch down on the tarmac at Sanaa Airport, the plane that has just 16 seats shudders violently. Chartered by MSF, the plane has flown in from Djibouti, several hundred kilometers from the Yemeni capital, which is really the only way to access the north of the country. At Sanaa Airport, there are no queues of planes standing by to land or take off, no snaking lines of luggage carts, and no crowds of people impatiently waiting to arrive or depart.
2: As you come in to land Uh, at the airport, uh, you see carcasses uh, of planes, uh, military uh, military and civilian, alongside the runaway.
1: Agnes recalls, the hectic hive of people and planes seen before the war has given way to a vast and desolate space. There's a
2: counter with a man right down at the end and huge, totally empty halls where everything's starting to fall apart. It's all run down. You can see the ceiling hanging down in places. When you arrive, you're aware you're entering a country where something's not working.
1: Like the rest of the Houthi-controlled territory, for almost five years, Sana'a Airport has been regularly subject to international coalition airstrikes. Originating from the far northwest of the country and marginalized by the government, the Houthis took up arms and advanced south beyond their borders. In September 2014, they took capital city Sana'a and, in March 2015, attempted to seize control of Aden, the country's largest port. This was when the Saudi-led international coalition that opposes the Houthis launched its bombing campaign.
2: And then during the first evening there, you start hearing the planes flying and um, start hearing the bombs dropping and you think, oh, OK, actually, something's really going on here. These are big bombs that are dropping and the house is shaking and, and um, you know, it. It felt very much like the start of something very
1: big that was happening at that point in time. MSF emergency coordinator Natalie Roberts first arrived in Yemen in mid-2015.
2: When you were in Sana'a and you heard the bombs exploding around you, you found yourself thinking, well, like, are they really bombing legitimate military targets? Because even there, you're thinking, well, this is a big, crowded city. Um, How do they manage to pinpoint military targets, and then as you move further north, it became a lot more clear that the precision targeting wasn't there, or if it was there, then they weren't really using it properly, because um, the further away you moved from Sana, the more and more um, civilian impact you saw in the bombing.
1: Sitting in front of an off-road vehicle, Natalie is on her way to Sada, The historical stronghold of the Houthis proclaimed hostile by the coalition when the war broke out. People who have not fled and still living there are considered legitimate targets. The city's inhabitants are trapped by the airstrikes. The road is strewn with rocks and there's little sign of life. Every now and again, she's surprised to see groups of Eritrean and Ethiopian refugees walking, perhaps unknowingly, towards some of the most dangerous places in the region. The further north she goes, the more apparent is the destruction inflicted by airstrikes.
2: There's a succession of bridges. And even by the time I arrived, which was only a few months after the bombing had started, all the bridges had gone. And the other thing you see on the road is a lot of bombed-out trucks, so um, particularly food trucks. And there was one in particular that, that had got bombed, I think it was the first or second time I went north, that had been bombed that was carrying a lot of sheep. Um, so there's a lot of dead sheep on the road. Um, and when I first drove past it, it had just been bombed, so it was still smoking, um, and the sheep were burning, it was pretty grim.
1: Weddings, funerals, schools, markets, gas stations, nothing and no one is safe from the bombs, and the inhabitants even end up refusing to drive trucks carrying food because they too are the targets of airstrikes. Natalie sees the risks ambulances in the region have to contend with,
2: You can't get off the road, you're on the mountainside. So if if a plane decides to target you, there's no escape, essentially. So I would get phone calls early in the morning, I'd be in one location, the team would phone me from another location and say, we have a patient, he's gonna die, we wanna transfer him, but the planes are flying, what should we do? And I never knew the answer. And I would say, "I, I don't know, you know, you have to explain to the patient and his family that if he stays there, he'll die. If he gets in the ambulance, he might die.
1: On arriving in Sada, any lingering doubts about the intensity of the bombing raids instantly evaporate. Buildings on both sides of main roads have collapsed in a domino effect.
2: It was impressive how quickly it had been destroyed. That must have happened in the space of two months or something, so houses destroyed and shops destroyed, and just kind of crumbling ruins in in lots of the streets, um, which makes you quite afraid, (laughs) essentially. Um, And we were staying a night in the hospital in Sada city, and everyone kept telling me it would be fine because hospitals are fine.
1: The number of bombs dropped in the city has something symbolic about it. A city just as much symbolic for the rebels. Elsewhere in the country, the damage is less concentrated. Southernmost port, Aden, has not suffered as much from airstrikes. The city was rapidly recaptured by the coalition, who then pushed the Houthis slightly further north. A front line was established around Taz, the country's third largest city. Once an intellectual and industrial hub, Taz has been besieged by all sides to the conflict. For many months, many of its inhabitants have been cut off from the outside world. In 2016, supplies were brought in at night to avoid the snipers, on foot, of course, up the mountain the city is perched on. Which is how, in early 2016, emergency coordinator Terry Duran managed to get there.
0: It had been brought to my attention because surgeons and people who arrived in Aden after trekking through the mountains from Thais cried when they showed me absolutely horrifying photos of guys ripped open with their guts hanging out. They'd run out of everything. They had no oxygen or anything else. So there was nothing they could do. Most of the hospitals are either closed or unable to perform surgery.
1: The altitude 2,500 meters, Terry struggles to find his breath. At last, the convoy of donkeys, camels, and men reached a town that's regularly bombed at night.
0: Someone phoned me. It looks like the hospital was bombed last night. So the next morning, I went over there. I saw the director and said, I heard you were bombed last night. The guy burst out laughing. He said, yeah, only for the 60th time.
1: The facade of the hospital in Taz is riddled with holes left by bullets and rockets and mortar fire. But we're used
0: to it. We don't work on any of the upper floors anymore, only in the basement and on the ground floor. They'd already reduced the number of beds to about 100, down from 600 they had before.
1: In Yemen, hospitals are just as much targets as anything else. Since the beginning of the conflict, MSF facilities have come under attack six times, and that's not counting the damage done to health centers that were already there.
2: When they bomb a hospital, they're not necessarily killing that many people, depending on how many people were in the hospital, but they're wiping out the potential to save lives afterwards. Health system is, is one of the main building blocks of a so- social infrastructure, and if you're trying to destroy a population, you attack their health system.
1: The war has at the very least killed 91,000 people and left countless others wounded. Among them are victims of international coalition airstrikes but also of landmines the Houthis have laid near front lines in the southwest of the country
0: For more true stories from the front line of medical emergencies subscribe via your podcast
1: provider or visit msf.org.uk/podcast